Matthew and I are here for another week of Clean Tech Talk, and today we're actually not really talking about Tesla for once. We're talking about BMW and what it should do to compete with Tesla, but really it's about what BMW can do uh, in the electric vehicle space to, to really make a big splash. Uh, and we're talking about Total's uh, acquisition of SAFT, which is a, a pretty humongous deal in the energy storage world. So I'll jump into this first one. So uh, Tom Maloney, who's who's probably the the most well-known uh, blogger in the BMW uh, i3 world, in the BMW electric vehicle world, um, he wrote, first of all, a superb article about Tesla's history, what it has accomplished, what it's done, and uh, briefly automaker responses to that so far, which haven't been particularly um, enthusiastic or uplifting. They've, they've sort of tried to brush Tesla aside, and Tom got to the point where basically, you know, you can't really brush Tesla aside with a half a million reservations for for its next vehicle. Um, and he wrote then a follow-up, a really great in-depth article on what BMW should do to respond, what vehicle it should create uh, to really compete and to really make a splash in the EV world. Um, and this was the i5, his vision for the i5. And he uh, he did a great job, a superb job of, of really, I think, covering all the important bases. Um, and uh, honestly, I just, I really hope that BMW is going to listen. I'm happy Tom wrote it because I think probably his involvement in the Active E program and the, with the i3, with BMW for years, makes him probably the the best uh, outsider to write such a piece and the, the best person, the, the person they're most likely to really take, listen listen to, uh, at least that I know. Um and uh, yeah, great stuff. I mean, he, so so specs he put for the BMW i5, which he uh, hoped would be able to launch by mid 2019, including a you know, five-door hatchback with seating for five, aluminum frame, CFRP, uh, carbon fiber reinforced plastic body, same as the i3 and i8 have more or less, um, 78.75 kilowatt hour battery pack with 70 kilowatt hours usable. Uh, EPA rated range of 245 miles per charge. Uh, it's 30 miles more than the the Model 3. Capable of charging at 150 kilowatts. That's a super fast charging that has been agreed on in Europe. But as far as I know, there's not a single charging station anywhere in the world. Uh, but that would be comparable, even perhaps faster than than Tesla supercharging. Uh, 345 horsepower. 375 pound-feet of torque, 0 to 60 miles per hour in 5 seconds, all-wheel drive option, options including a heads-up display, uh, which is really sweet in the i8, um, panoramic roof, various BMW driver assist, autonomous driving features, uh, and really I think, you know, I, th- I think that's a, that's a great formula, that's a great uh, prescription, whether or not BMW can create that, whether it has the potential to get cost-competitive batteries, um, especially is, is critical, but uh, the vision is wonderful, and I think, um, I think BMW would, would, be, would do really well to, to, try, to, to try to meet that. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that Tom makes a very uh, good case that uh, BMW really is well poised uh, with its target market, the more affluent type of consumer, 
to make a switch over to uh, electric propulsion. They, they have indeed indicated that by 2025 they want to have a plug-in option across their lineup. I think, I think uh, they had mentioned in their press releases that they want to electrify their lineup by 2025. Some people interpreted that to mean all batteries, but uh, looking more closely at how they phrase things, it seems more likely that they want to give that option to customers across their product line. Definitely something they can achieve at the price points they sell at, and definitely something their customers should be able to uh, afford, given the fact that if you can afford a BMW, chances are you have your own home or maybe a, you know, a little attached house with its own garage, so there's no worry about plug access. Uh, furthermore, at that price point, there's a, there's a chance to fold in those... Uh, slightly higher upfront costs for the decent-sized batteries. I think Tom made an excellent point in this article where he noted that for BMW to really draw buyers uh, to select a plug-in option, it needs to offer enough range that they feel the extra outlay is worth it. Uh, there may there may also be a, a need to uh, to make sure that their staff and their salespeople are keen on selling these vehicles. I, I note that in tracking the uh, BMW X5, uh, I think it's the X-Drive 40 uh, plug-in uh, hybrid version of the X5, it's it's only actually about 1% or 2% perhaps of the overall X5 sales, uh, which could mean that perhaps the, you know, the salespeople really haven't caught on how to sell it effectively, or perhaps it doesn't you know, offer a compelling enough electric range for people to say, hey, actually, this is this is better. So I think he did make some excellent points there. And uh, BMW is very well poised to be able to uh, lead the rest of the auto industry into an electric transition, again, because they don't they don't um, target those super price sensitive people at the bottom 90% or not 90% maybe the bottom 50 or 70% of the uh, new car buying public so they they do have a better chance i would imagine than most car companies at uh, responding to tesla's uh you know audacious uh and insanely great plans yeah i mean also bmw is known for innovation it's known for being a, a sporty and innovative a car company, and uh, I mean that's basically what EVs are right now, especially led by Tesla. Is they're seen as uh, least at least Tesla EVs are seen as sporty and innovative, and um, so BMW has has that um, that reputation well enough that I think it could um, it could earn the earn the dollars of of, of consumers who maybe would be more skeptical about other brands leading the way in, the, in this market. Um, and some important things, you know, that, that Tom noted were the potential for the battery, uh, for the battery technology to be ready for that, the Samsung battery technology that BMW uses, BMW's um, work in develop, developing good battery packs to, to use those battery cells from, from Samsung. Um, we have, have another story I'm planning to write based on a, an, an old article that was dropped in the comments on Clean Technica about um, uh, Sven Bauer, CEO of Europe's largest battery manufacturer, uh, in 2013. So this was an interview in 2013 about Tesla batteries versus BMW's i3 batteries, uh, and the company's BMZ. And um, and he, I mean, he would. You have to read the article. It's going to be go into more depth. But he he basically. Um, 
said that BMW's batteries were much better um, than Tesla's. there are some things he said that at this point, after a few years later, I feel like he was maybe a, a bit too skeptical <laughs> about uh, what Tesla had accomplished with its batteries. But at the same time, um, without a doubt, it's clear that he's that he saw BMW's battery approach as as better, and it could uh, that that could mean you know that BMW has the potential to to really deliver. Um, an exceptional uh, BMW i5 with that range uh, and hope, presumably a decent price point. Uh, he didn't really talk about price, so that's that's another matter, uh, uh, and that's sort of the that's sort of the crux of the issue, isn't it? <laughs> that's uh, yeah, price. I guess even though BMW uh, uh, buyers won't be as price sensitive, at least at the lower price ranges that uh, many of us are. Uh, one could imagine that if the price premium for a plug-in option is too high relative to the regular option, then people might not feel the uh, feel the zeal to uh, to go electric. And basically, I mean, the i5 has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be. It looks like a bit of a different category, but but presumably it has to be pretty price uh, competitive with the Model Three. Otherwise, people are just going to be going for the Model Three over the i5. So I think. That's the key for the i5 being competitive uh, to some extent. Yes, yeah. So uh, you want to you want to be at least somewhat comparable with your direct competitors. You don't want to have a uh, I don't know. Um, I guess to use the old uh, Pulp Fiction movie, and I realize that movie is now like twenty years old. But you know, you don't want to be selling a five dollar shake if everyone else is selling a one dollar shake. Um, one one point that uh, I thought might be useful to keep in mind is that. Uh, is the question about the 150 kilowatt uh, uh, charging stations. And I could imagine that BMW would enjoy good success if it deploys its own set of charging stations, simply because then you have one company, one decision maker, you have to you know, convince the, the, C, uh, the CFO, perhaps, or some other finance types. I would... Uh, be concerned on their behalf that if they try to do this in a consortium approach, where perhaps they get uh, Mercedes or Daimler and uh, Volkswagen on board, even in, even for Europe, then you'd get bogged down in a question of, well, I'm I don't want to pay more than thirty three percent, but you guys sell forty percent of the cars, you guys should pay forty percent. So I would think that. Uh, you know, and I think uh, we have mentioned this before that the fact that Tesla is one company, it could deploy its superchargers as it desired with its uh, with its own internal decision makers. Uh, I would think that BMW will have a painfully slow rollout of 150 kilowatt uh, chargers if it tries to go the uh, consortium route, which might save it money, but will probably bog everything down so much that. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't have the kind of uh, momentum that you get with an internal company project. So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, my my two biggest concerns. I, I, I love I love what Tom laid out. Um, I think it's really compelling. I, I love that he did it because uh, BMW respects him a great deal. And he has a close relationship with many people at BMW, and uh, I think they'll take it as a more serious suggestion than they would have from almost anyone else. Um, I think the the benefit of i5 too is it looks like it will appeal more. To, it ha- looks like it would have more space. I mean, that's going to be hard to judge at this point, <laughs> obviously, and uh, obviously it's just a, a rendering. But um, but the two things that, that do concern me are one, 
that Samsung and BMW's battery battery development isn't at the point where it would be price competitive with Tesla. Um, basically, from what what I understand from from watching the industry closely, but not having an inside the the walls uh, view, is that Tesla has much cheaper batteries than than anyone else. Uh, so that, so if you don't have that. If you're not at that price point, it's just really hard to compete. But uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is the, the charging network. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't see. But um, my understanding is that BMW has been working with Volkswagen and Daimler and, and uh, others on this, and that uh, they would look to take that consortium approach. And that, I mean, my, obviously, my concern is that they would just take a really long time to develop a, a decent network, which would just put them back uh, competitively quite quite far. Uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, you don't want to get into a situation where you have, um, uh, where your charging network is the is the electric equivalent of, you know, a camel is a horse designed by committee. Uh, because that just, uh, it, it impairs everything. It, it slows everything down. You don't get the customer experience or the particular design or the, you know, everyone basically ha- would have to compromise so much that you get this, um, what do you get this uh, chimera, this, this, this thing which is neither, you know, one particular vision or another vision, but it's just kind of, you know, compromised all the way down, which is, which would be unfortunate. So, uh, but what if it ends up that you actually preferred a camel or a chimera? I, I, I suppose, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, just kidding. some people might enjoy riding camels more than uh, horses. Uh, I can tell you that uh, my brother once uh, went to Morocco and brought back some, um, brought back some uh, camel skin uh, slippers and uh, we thought it was it was kind of odorous but I can report that our cat just loved rolling around in them so uh, so that's my camel anecdote for you it might have some some strange side side effects that are beneficial yeah so maybe it was uh, maybe it was tanned with a catnip or something uh, anyway, moving on then, uh, perhaps on the consortium theme or on the on the subject of uh, of uh, you know, corporate uh, moves in the uh, in the clean tech space, we had news this week that uh, the French uh, oil conglomerate, one of the six sisters, I think they're called, the, the big oil super majors, is acquiring European battery maker Saft for about a billion uh, dollars, and this comes a few years after Total uh, acquired. Uh, a controlling interest in SunPower. I think they have about 62, 63% of SunPower, the uh, high-efficiency solar panel manufacturer, and that uh, purchase had been on the order of uh, you know, two billion dollars. Uh, so this is uh, this is really interesting to me on a couple levels. Uh, the first level, just from the from the the high up. Um, you know, 50,000 uh, foot altitude perspective is that here maybe we start to see uh, this uh, wedge between one of the big oil super majors, Total, and its other peers, where it looks like Total is uh, is you know gonna is 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 recognizing that it needs to find a way to um, play in the energy space beyond fossil fuels. And if we can get that kind of uh, division between them, then you know we can perhaps try to apply a divide and conquer strategy where we hold up Total as, hey, you know these guys are progressive. Maybe we can prod, nudge, or or um, uh, force uh, the other oil majors to to uh, well, to respond in some 
pro-social manner. Yeah. Uh, the other is uh, it comes back from uh, uh, other large industrial conglomerates. Uh, a friend of mine used to work for Siemens in Germany, and he said that uh, over there uh, they used to refer to it as uh, the Bank of Siemens. And Siemens is kind of like the General Electric uh, of Germany. Um, General Electric, incidentally, is like the only company that has been on the Dow 30 index like for 100 years. And a large part of that is because uh, it's... It's a technology company, but it uh, its specialty seems to be that it uh, acquires smaller promising companies, you know, puts the GE, or in this case Siemens, or perhaps even in this case the Total, you know, fiscal discipline uh, to it, and uh, perhaps on account of the larger company's brand name and uh, you know, uh, reputation, uh, this allows the smaller companies to get you know better cost of capital. They can they can borrow money if they need to internally from the parent company, or if they have to borrow it from elsewhere, they can borrow at a lower interest rate because, well, at least until recently, oil companies seem to be fairly safe uh, companies to borrow money from. Uh, and the other thing is that you get access to the Rolodex, to the to the customer base uh, that the larger company has, and perhaps that doesn't apply quite as much with uh, you know with an oil gas giant helping with uh, solar and storage, uh, but certainly in in Siemens' case and General Electric's case that is a that is a, a valuable uh, synergy you can get. Uh, so yeah, it uh, it did seem like an interesting story, and it would be very promising if. Uh, by this arrangement, you have both SunPower and SAFT who are able to sort of grow at their own, you know, as fast as possible speeds with access to more money in the uh, in the parent company bank balance sheet and or access to cheaper loans, thanks to the parent company. And then simultaneously, they could also perhaps, you know, work together on solar plus storage deals where the fact that they, they both ultimately have the same, you know, super boss, then... Um, Perhaps you'd have the opportunity to have, you know, faster progress being made. If you have two independent groups, you know, they can be at loggerheads for a long time. If you raise it up the chain to the overall CEO, you know, they can make a decision, right or wrong. At least you get the, the issue settled and you can move on. Uh, that said, I've been talking for a while. So, uh, Zachary, uh, what's your take? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a fascinating story. It's uh, got to be one of the bigger clean tech stories of the year so far. Um, one of the biggest, uh, the inter- a few, there are a few interesting things that are coming to mind. That are coming to mind. I mean, one is that uh, well, well, we've had Shell was involved in solar. There's BP Solar, but they didn't last very long, and the and the companies didn't really seem to to thrive under those oil uh, the, the solar subsidiaries where they didn't seem to thrive. Um, Total, from my understanding is letting some power do its thing. Basically, let's uh, Tom Werner and crew run things as they would otherwise, uh, but then also provide some, some you know, big picture uh, perspective and context and help uh, when needed, I think, from a board level kind of view. But but mostly is letting solar power act like a solar uh, startup or, or, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it at this, at this stage, I guess, um, which I think has been quite quite good for the company. The, the company is doing well. It's been a, a top 10 solar module producer for, uh, I think, as long as I've been covering the industry. Um, it's, it's really a, it's high, high efficiency, high reliability, high quality solar modules. Um, so I think it, that's a good sign that Total is trying to take the best possible approach to the new energy future 
by getting in early but not messing things up <laughs> but and also providing the benefit that it can provide as, as a huge corporation um, and yeah if if they're looking to do that time and again by you know taking a, a big solar company and a big storage company maybe more down the road uh, presumably more then I think it's, it seems, seems like the best possible approach for an oil company that's going to become a lot less relevant as an oil company and uh, but but faces the challenge of you know the, the challenge is always there for when your industry is disrupted how do you really respond to become a leader in a new industry which is a very very difficult challenge as 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 lay people and, and viewers we can be more cynical and and you know uh, I, I guess a bit more harsh of these big corporations as they struggle through these changes but um the thing is these are really hard it's really hard to to be a leader in an industry that is going downhill uh and figure out how to respond so i think total's approach is, is quite interesting and, and promising uh like you said it could could you know be the impetus for other oil companies to, uh, to become more serious uh on the country you know if you look at some of these middle eastern countries uh, like their big Western oil companies, um, I think we're, we're seeing similar thing. Actually, we're seeing uh, the UAE and and now Saudi Arabia making big, big uh, announcements, plans, investments regarding clean energy, uh, as as they realize probably better than uh, better than possibly anyone uh, where the oil oil industry is headed. Um, and regarding SAF, so I mean, the thing is, we, we cover a lot of, we cover storage uh, obsessively now. It's, it's, a, it's a very hot topic for us, and we, there are a lot of companies getting projects, getting deals, getting investments. Uh, so we, we have, uh, I think, about 50 companies that, were, that, that look promising in the storage space. Um, so it's hard to tease out who has the brightest future. Um, the interesting thing here for me is that SAFT is a very large established company that has been a leader in this nascent industry and has we've, we've been writing we've written quite a few stories this year about about SAFT storage projects. Perhaps uh, they were trying to get more news out there as they were negotiating uh, <laughs> deal a deal with Total, but uh, basically they, they've they've risen pretty high up the list of promising, you know, of storage companies winning a lot of big contracts. Um, and uh, I, I, I just think, I think it's interesting that Total went with an established large company like this rather than um, a smaller startup. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens, but I, I have a feeling they're going to end up leaving them with a lot of independence like they've done with SunPower. And um, yeah, also try to I'm sure it provides some avenues for collaboration between SunPower and SAFT that could help the two to grow together well. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things which probably would have impressed or interested uh, Total in the in SAFT particularly is that SAFT, uh, at least according to its you know press releases, which of course um, we have to take with a, a little bit of a grain of salt uh, but saft press releases are 100% objective oh sorry i'm i'm my mistake <laughs> my mistake i i uh, that was the uh, excessively cynical uh, nihilistic 
uh, anti Matthew speaking there. Uh, so yes, you drink too much originality this morning. Yeah. So um, so Saft has mentioned that its focus is on high value added products or projects rather, where there is perhaps some engineering involved, where they aren't likely to get caught into a commodity style uh, price tailspin, where every it's a race to the bottom in terms of price and therefore profitability. So I can see why uh, Total might be more interested in Saft than in perhaps another player who might not not be able to take on some of the more complex engineering or sort of upfront design considerations and is just trying to pump out the lithium-ion batteries or, or the other batteries that... Uh, that Saft might happen to be using. Uh, the the last uh, thing is that um, with uh, with Saft being you know perhaps a like a hundred year old company, uh, it's probably also mature enough that there's less risk for Total in investing in a company which does have revenues, which is which which has you know must have reasonable balance between income and expenses, uh, because. Uh, the challenge of uh, investing into startups is you're never sure if you're going to be, you know, you're buying that lottery ticket or it's one of the many, many, you know, non-winning lottery tickets, as it were. And so, yeah, and I figured too with, with that, what I understand about the large corporation too. I, I figured too, their accounting and their their bookkeeping, all, all of this is uh, easier for um, Total to vet to look at. It's probably, you know, it's more in line with what's what's used in the in the big corporation industry and. Um, easier to evaluate probably yeah definitely and perhaps shell and british petroleum you know i don't know if they were just being cynical in their earlier phase of uh, trying to invest in renewables or other clean energy it it is also possible that they just happened to come in too early where they took a chance on you know investing in uh, sectors that were just not quite mature enough hoping that they would you know exponentially scale and in this case, you know, Total has waited a few more years. It's found uh, a couple companies now in both SunPower and in Saft, which you know they they are profitable, at least occasionally. Otherwise, they wouldn't wouldn't have been around for so long. And uh, it is, as you're saying, a more mature business, easier to objectively estimate, uh, you know, a, a net present value for or you know, the equivalent uh, accounting metrics. So, uh, again, it is promising here that uh, Total isn't going for a startup that's promising to change the world but might only succeed 1% of the time. It's it's uh, acquired two companies in a very promising space, which are both, you know, reasonably mature, which, which have the ability to operate independently, and uh, which should serve it well in terms of moderating the wild and, uh, you know, um, the wild swings in the oil market, which are, are, you know, just massive enough that you would figure that all their executives are on gravel or something, because uh, it's, it's, it's not how markets are supposed to work, where it's, you know, nice and smooth and costs drop a couple percent every year. It's, um, it is a foresighted move on Total's part, for sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, you get the impression that Total has a longer view. Um, that, you know, maybe they're more willing to sit it out with some power saying, okay, we're going to have some rough years. Uh, obviously, solar module companies <clears throat> had, a, had some really rough uh, couple of years there. Um, and it's a hard industry. It's been a hard in- industry so far to make, uh, you know, great profits on, great profit margins on. Uh, so I think maybe Total just has a, a longer view too, where they say, "Look, in 50 years, you're going to wish that you had that you had become a leader early." You know, so um, 
yeah, that's that's a very outside opinion. <laughs> outside, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm I'm way off base, but that's my my thought on it. Well, I mean, uh, you know, unless you're actually an insider at uh, Total Saft or Sun Power, then uh, it's always all outside opinion. Well, uh, any so any more thoughts on that? What what do you think? Uh, do you think Total's uh, on the verge of of acquiring Atieva or <laughs> <laughs> Faraday Future? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I think. I think it'll stay away from EVs for a while, but it, but it's it's a really exciting move um, to see another another sign that energy storage is growing yep, up. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, as as we noted earlier, this uh, this could mean that other uh, oil or energy or fossil fuel related companies might now start taking a more serious look at hey, you know, we uh, uh, our competitor is is doing some diversification. There must be a few companies out there which are you know reasonably healthy, which which have gone past the startup stage into the commercial uh, commercial stage. I'm, I'm thinking maybe First Solar, for example. You know, it's uh, it it uh, it has a demonstrated uh, track record of success. It's it uh, seems to be doing very well technically and financially, and um, perhaps it would be a situation such as when I think FedEx took over Kinkos. Which was like kind of the sort of a, the, the local copier sort of outside office, as it were, and, and then um, UPS wound up taking over. I think it was mailboxes, etc., or something, and turned that into the UPS store. So um, uh, there's always the risk that the that maybe if total ha- if Total has a few bad years, that that could actually slow down Sun Power and Saft's uh, expansion plans. Hopefully, that's not the case. Uh, I would I would hope instead that Total says, hey, you know, we have a once in a generation opportunity to avoid going extinct or avoid getting consolidated with all these other uh, oil super majors, and I hope that they um, they back their first outlay of money with all the commitment and time and as necessary money that these two acquisitions deserve because if we are talking about Tatal 50 years from now if they are still around it's likely to be on account of these uh, clean tech acquisitions basically growing to become the dominant uh, the dominant uh, drivers of uh, of this uh, of this French company yeah and and my understanding is Tatal has a lot more is influenced a lot more by the French government than uh, than for example U.S. oil companies are by the U.S. government, so that may also be a a, a big part of the puzzle here. Is you know the, the progressive French government, passionate about addressing global warming, is pushing uh, Total to do this as well. We'll see, but uh, who knows? But um, yep, oh, that's this week's show. Uh, check in next week to get your electric fix. <laughs>